Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. If you're in the global scripted television business, there was only one place to be last week, C21's International Drama Summit, which took place over three days as part of our Content London Confab at the King's Place Conference Centre and magnificent St Pancras Renaissance Hotel. The sellout event saw over 2,000 delegates from around the world descend on the two venues to hear the latest from the industry's great and good. Among the speakers were Amazon Studios European boss Georgia Brown, YouTube head of drama John Wax, actors Carl McLaughlin and Natalie Dormer, writer Nick Hornby and director Stephen Frears. If you were there, we hope you enjoyed it. If you weren't or would simply like to listen again, over the next few weeks on the C21 podcast, we have highlights for you from some of the keynotes. Videos from some of the sessions will feature in the C21 Pro 2019 Global Drama Trends Report, publishing daily now on C21 through December and January, and the entire collection will be made available to Drama Summit attendees shortly. But in the meantime, we'll give you a flavour of some of the discussions that came out of this year's event. Tier 1 tickets for next year's conference have already sold out, but Tier 2 tickets are now on sale, so be sure to book your place for 2019. Coming up now, Netflix Vice President of International Originals, Eric Barmack, who used his keynote address to announce a new series called Young Wallander, based on the books of Nordic Noir founding father Henrik Mankel and produced by Banerjee Group's Yellow Bird. Barmack also talked about his belief that US content will soon be superseded by shows from around the globe and offered plenty more in terms of Netflix's international strategy. You'll be able to watch his full presentation on C21 shortly if you're a pro subscriber or were among the Drama Summit delegates, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, here's an extract of Barmack in conversation with C21 Managing Director and Editor-in-Chief David Jenkinson. Welcome everybody, welcome to this great Netflix session. We're delighted that Eric's made the trip over and he's going to uh, talk to us today about what's happening with uh, Netflix uh, international programming. Uh, nearly 60% of the 137 million Netflix members are now from outside the US. And so one of Eric's jobs is to grow programming for those audiences. The aim is to have 100 uh, non-English language shows on air very soon. So to find out about how he's going to do that, what he's doing in Europe and what he's doing in other international markets around the world, would you welcome to the stage Eric Barmack. Hey everybody, I'm uh, Eric Barmack. I work on the International Originals team at Netflix and very, very excited to be here. Um, we have an incredible team here this week. We have Kelly Luganbeel, who heads up our original slate for Europe, Larry Tance, who's doing co-productions, Melissa Cobb, who's doing kids programming. And I think we're uh, in various members of their teams and we're all here because it's important for us to, to understand what's happening in the production community. And there's so much activity that we're participating in here that it, it's really one of the, the more meaningful conferences that we go to. So thanks, David. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I just wonder how many projects you actually do have on your desk at any one time, because it's um, and how quickly do they go, come on and off the desk? And how does the, the sort of the, the process of dealing with that scale of, of development work? 
Um, very few, and I, I should say, at Netflix we have the point of view that there's multiple people who can commission shows. And so we have Kelly's team in Amsterdam who is largely, if not entirely, responsible for the European slate. Um, we have people working in Sao Paulo. We have teams that are div divided up by region, and they're empowered to make decisions that they think are best for the countries that they're working in. And so sadly, I, I kind of like meddling in projects, but I, get, I don't get the opportunity uh, to do is, that Is much there a consistent anymore. theme that runs throughout all of them? I mean, what, what's the actual mission, apart from to grow the user base globally? Would you, do, you, do you have a very, very uh, planned, orchestrated way forward, or does it really work in terms of what comes through the door at different times in the cycle? Um, you know, I think we have some thought that when we're starting in, in new countries that we don't want to do exactly what's been done before. And so I think you'll see on our, our slate in general a, long, a lot of young adult programming, a lot of genre programming, things that um, have uh, subject matters that are a little risky. But over time, what we want to do is work with people who are very, very passionate about their projects who love the ideas and, and are looking for creative freedom to execute on those ideas. And that, that tends to have us working with an unusual number of young people. So um, we have a show coming out this Friday in Italy um, called Baby. The, the team that put that together are between the ages, I think, of 20 and 23. Um, and it, it, we, we also tend to work a lot with filmmakers because um, oftentimes we'll say, hey, do you want to do six, seven, eight-hour movie where you just have more room to do something? So those are some things. Interesting, the Yellowbird uh, co-production cost. You know, there's, there's, all, there's all sorts of word out there that is Netflix still going to co-produce? Is it not? Is it going to develop its own vertically integrated approach to content? You've got your local production hubs rolling out, yet, yet it still seems that you're, you're very much in partnership with the business. How does that, how's that playing out in terms of that Venn diagram of working with people, doing it yourself, or, or, or growing the business? Well, I mean, we're actively committed to doing uh, co-productions in Europe and other places, and so that is an important part of our business. Um, it's something that we think gives us the opportunity to work with interesting networks and also find interesting projects, right? But really, we approach it from the perspective of what do our members want? And the reason why these co-productions are effective is because our members love those shows, right? So um, The Bodyguard is a hugely successful show, both creatively in terms of, and in terms of audience enthusiasm. And we want to do that. And we also want to make our own shows based on what we're seeing that our members love. In terms of discovery of new projects and where, how things best come to you, do you have a particular approach that you prefer? Do you, do you expect a producer or a creator to come to you with the full package? Do you like an idea earlier? Do you like, how do you like to get involved with it? And is it a case of, because I don't think you've got too many sort of deals with sort of production pods or showrunners or, or collectives of people. So what's the best way for a project to come into you? Well, yeah, I mean, we have a few overall deals. So we have a relationship with Alex Pina, who, who's the creator of Casa de Papel. Uh, we also have an overall deal with, um, with Bo and Yanti, the creators of Dark, who are doing now a great show called 1899, um, which is um, about these immigrants on a ship who are heading for the US and something terrible happens. And so um, those deals are put together under the construct of we love working with these, this creative talent and we want to give them the flexibility to think about the projects that they want to do the most. And then as far as pitches, um, they kind of come in all shapes and sizes. Sometime uh, in Germany, we're doing 
doing a show called The Wave because we loved the movie. In uh, Poland, we had the opportunity to get access through a producer to The Witcher fantasy series. We love these books, and so we took source material and then built uh, teams around it. Other times, like Baby, what I mentioned to you is it's just there was an undeniable energy to uh, the people who wanted to do the show, and we just felt like we had to do it because they felt so strongly about what they were working on. Local streamers are now emerging. Uh, there's, there's a lot of activity in that, in that, in that sector. And so if a, if a strong sort of local strategy is important to you, which I imagine it is because of the rollout of your production hubs, how much of a threat do you see from these emerging uh, platforms? And uh, um, if so, what, what are you going to do about it? Is it a threat or not? I mean, we're almost singularly focused on what we're doing and how um, we can um, uh, provide great programming to our members. Um, I also think it's maybe a false construct of how content is going to evolve. So for example, I think in, in Scandinavia, uh, Viaplay's uh, commissioned a lot of content that's very interesting. And they've decided to do a real local strategy. And I think that's great for the consumer right? in, in Sweden and in Denmark. But it's also possible for us to do shows at the same time. And I think that I truly believe that as these markets evolve, that what it will encourage is sort of uh, more risk-taking in programming and better um, infrastructure, more writers' rooms, and all of these things that will be better long-term for the business and better for uh, consumers, too. So there's lots of questions asked outside of Netflix about the algorithm and all of the sort of the yeah. data that you use yeah. um, uh, to, to inform your choices. And um, the Wall Street Journal did a, a very interesting piece recently about the tension between data and the creative side of the business and, uh, and, and how that's put some pressure on the business sort of back, in, back in the US. How do you resolve all that? I mean, how, what, what, what part does data play in your decisions as much as you can share with us? And how do you sort of bring that into the sort of creative space and, and, and have that fight between the Silicon Valley side of the mind and the LA and international creative side of, of, of the Yeah, like when, whenever I, I hear that question, I have this image of this kind of robot spitting yeah, out a ticker tape answer of this is the show you should be making. And um, look, But it I, plays a part, yeah. I mean, you do run it through that. The, yeah. the, the robot to, yeah. to get the ticker tape answer? Yeah. Um, no, not necessarily. But I think what data does is it helps guide us to sort of give us a vague sense of what a potential audience for a type of show could be. Um, so um, we may have a sense if we're doing a sci-fi show um, and we think it looks like these other shows that, that have been on service before, a broad range of what the expected audience might be. It doesn't answer the question, however, uh, you know, I should say that those predictions are often wrong. Um, and they've been uh, most wrong in international programming because we just don't have enough uh, data about original shows in Italy and France and Turkey. Um, so each time we launch a show, it's really an adventure of like, where is this going and where is the audience? And we're learning a lot by doing that. But you know, really the main point is that it gives you a sense of direction, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell you whether the show is going to be good or not. Sure. What, what challenge do you have reaching the younger audience? Because the form of what you deliver is, is television. Uh -huh. um, and, and, and Received Wisdom has it that the, the millennial and beyond audience isn't watching as much television as before. So do you have a problem reaching the younger audience? And is that something that you need to address in terms of what you're commissioning and delivering? 
No, I mean, I wouldn't view it as a problem. I think it's an opportunity. Challenge. Do you find um, it hard? And, and uh, um, you know, I think we are competing, in a sense, uh, on a consistent basis for just the attention of free time. So it's video games and social media and all of these things. And so it, it raises the bar for us to really have interesting things happen in our programming. And in a sense, it, when we think about our young adult slate, we're very driven by the idea of like, let's have plot-driven shows that really grip people right away. So Elite, the show that I mentioned at the outset in the presentation, opens with one of the, the main characters being murdered. So it's immediately a whodunit of how did this happen? But I, I think that generally we're obligated to entertain and we're sort of looking for ways to entertain and, and there's always gonna be competition for other types of media and video games and sports and so on that, we'll, um, that we just have to be thoughtful about. And we talked a little bit earlier about the sort of the mix and the blend and the, uh, the language, um, the foreign language or the non-English language productions and appetite to watch that sort of show. How far are, uh, are we away from the language it's produced in actually not being an issue at all? Or is that always going to remain, do you think? I think we're already there. So when you watch Narcos, or when our audience watched Narcos for the first time, I don't think they were conscious that they were watching a Spanish language show, and yet 80% um, of that show, 75, 80% of that show is in Spanish. And I think you know dubbing is improving, so we did a show out of Denmark last year uh, called The Rain, which is this dystopian, apocalyptic kind of thing. And um, the actors uh, dub their own voices. And so when you watch that show uh, in English, you're not very conscious of it being dubbed. And then I think when you think about it from the perspective of like, what does the world look like outside of the US and the UK? These members have been living with dubbing and subtitling for shows for th their entire lives. And so we just have to be better at it and make sure that the shows are compelling enough. But I, I think the answer is that's, that's already passing. So you had a big a, push in India um, uh, uh, over the last year. You, you, you're going into the uh, Arabian market, I think, with a show ne early next year, spring perhaps. Yeah. Where are the hot spots of development for you at the moment? Where, where do you want to go next in terms of originals internationally? Uh, you know, India is an important market for us because it's a big opportunity to reach a lot of uh, members, and, and it's also a, a pretty distinctly local, so there's a real um, culture of Bollywood, a great film community there, and so um, we think it's an important market to invest in uh, as an opportunity. Korea is really interesting to us because those shows tend to travel throughout Southeast Asia, so we're investing in Korean shows not just for that country, but for a region. The show that you're mentioning, Jin, is our first show that's going to be in Arabic. And look, I mean, there's 500 million people around the world who speak Arabic. Um, and there's a real opportunity to put different faces in a different type of programming to get away from just uh, the traditional Ramadan shows, for example, that are, that are on um, a lot of networks and, and to tell young adult stories, supernatural stories on down the line. And what um, about the African market? Is that somewhere that's a hot development? It is. I mean, we're, we're in the process, so Kelly's um, team is in the process of looking at opportunities in, in Africa, and it's, it's definitely the case that we'll commission some series there uh, uh, in 2019. And then I think when you think about it from the perspective of, like, what does the world look like outside of the U.S. and the U.K. from different countries around the world, and then, but also be uh, very thoughtful um, and specific about our programming in particular countries is a really, really 
really um, tough balance. So getting uh, that right, I think, is the most important thing. Um, but I feel like um, we've really made a nice start. I think we're coming from a perspective of humility that we have a lot to learn. But you know, I think we're, we're on our way to doing some really interesting programming in, in Europe. Cool. Well, I hope you'll come back next year and tell us all about it, and we'll see where it's gone. Okay. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Marmack. Thanks. Netflix Vice President of International Originals, Eric Barmack, talking to David Jenkinson. Remember, the full video version will be available on C21 shortly, where you can stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments and read the latest instalment in the C21 Pro 2019 Global Drama Trends Report. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter and on mobile. That's all we have time for in this week's episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>